Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Hello, hello. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Free Retiree Show, your favorite podcast, all things career, money, and where we learn from those that are the best, those that have achieved success and accomplished amazing things in their career. Welcome into a business and thought leader edition. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside coaching extraordinaire, Silicon Valley veteran, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And we are also alongside the attorney that you love to hang out with, your favorite attorney, Matthew McElroy. What's going on? For today's show, we have a special guest for you. We have a world-renowned speaker, podcaster, and author, Kevin Miller. Guys, check out this resume for Kevin. He has been a top-ranked business podcast in iTunes. He has had over 50 million downloads and is currently receiving 450 downloads a month. And he's number two all-time career podcast on Apple. 450K downloads per month. 450K. 450 is more like us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> Kidding for the listeners. We get way more than that. That's a good month, yeah. <laughs> he's the host of the Motive Podcast, the True Life Podcast, and the Ziggler Show. And Kevin's goal he wants to inspire his listeners, give them more meaningful lives to reach their highest potential. But what he really hones deep on is helping people find and uncover their true motivations for why they do what they do. So Matt, Serge, what are your thoughts on this guy? I'm excited. This is going to be a cool podcast. I was doing my research on Kevin and found all kinds of cool things I want to ask him about. So this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. Something that stood out to me is how much he cares about helping others. That's important to me. So I'm just pumped to have someone of his caliber on the show. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're looking at this guy's download numbers. I can already tell he's an amazing guy because he's like, <laughs> these guys, they haven't accomplished anything close to me, but he's willing to take the time to help us. I mean, he didn't say that, but I just got to say how it is. This guy's amazingly successful and he sees a younger podcast that he knows he can give some guidance to and help out and give a good interview. I mean... I'm stoked to have him on. We're going to go to a quick break. But before we do so, make sure you like our show, share us, like us on LinkedIn. And if you have questions, financial-related, career-related, legal-related, send them to ask at thefreeretiree.com. And also, if you have a question for Kevin, you can send it there as well. We'll pass it on to him. We're going to take a quick break. But when we're back, we'll be sitting down with Kevin Miller. Welcome back into the Free Retiree Show. We're sitting down with Kevin Miller. Kevin, how are you doing? I am excellent. As you know, I'm on a little getaway, which I do pretty frequently, uh, just to take some time alone, away from my family, and just time to think and time to be time to be me. Man, it's something I really appreciate. I, I adore my family, but I also adore getting away to be just me once in a while. It's amazing, man. So 
we've seen all your accolades, what you've done with podcasting, like straight up, man. We got to thank you for coming on our show. We've had some amazing guests, but honestly, you're probably one of the probably the highest caliber considering what you've done with your podcast. So I know how you are. I've read about you. You're a really kind human being. And I know that's the only reason you're on our podcast today, but we just straight up, we appreciate you for coming on. Man, you guys are awfully gracious. In this platform, I've been blessed to have great success. So here I am as a podcaster, and I've done some great things. But man, one of the reasons I do this is you guys each have your lives, you've done your things, and in your arenas, you're uh, far more masterful than I am. And so doing these shows, I get to learn something always about myself, about you guys. And it's a gift to be connected to people like you, because that's what I can attribute every success I've had to is the people I've been connected with. So I just got to connect with three awesome guys. I get more (laughs) benefit than anyone out of this stuff. Love that. The pleasure is all ours, man. We we appreciate you coming on. (laughs) Why don't you tell us and tell the listeners a little bit about what you do? I gave a brief rundown, but want the listeners hear from your words. Well, I mean, I do. I'm known at this point as being a podcaster because of the success of The Ziggler Show. Now I've got two other shows, but man, I've been a lifetime entrepreneur. It's all I've ever known. I've started a lot of different businesses, but all along I have always, I mean, you guys, again, I appreciate your graciousness of saying that I really care to serve people. Man, I do. And yet it's also incredibly selfish. I mean, we know that from an aspect of finding purpose in our lives, that's where we find it. So I'm selfishly wanting as much purpose in my own life for the own joy it gives me. And we find purpose most from being of value to other people. And so I am grateful to be able to be of value to other people, and but also aware that it's what gives me the most joy as well. It's a great, beautiful circle of life there. But yeah, so doing the podcast I'm known for, doing a lot of writing and starting businesses. I've done well. I was a past athlete, but all along being involved with people is the greatest high. That's awesome. Kevin, you mentioned your entrepreneurial mindset. I know your dad was an entrepreneur. Can you talk to us a little bit about your upbringing and what was his impact on you? Oh, it's gigantic. I never knew him to work for anyone. He hardly ever did. So all I grew up with was an entrepreneurial home, which I love. I would have been a tragedy to me for my bent to have a dad who just had some consistent job. I got to see him start things that he cared about, cared about and was just, you know, fun. I mean, he did car stuff because he just dug cars. And I got to see him start things, try things, see things that didn't work. I saw some pretty big, you know, quote failures, things that didn't work out as he expected. I'm so grateful to have seen that because I saw that no matter where the business was or the finances, even in the family, that we still sat down every night. We had dinner, we played games, watched a show, life didn't change. And I came out of that with, I was willing to try anything and no big deal if it didn't work out. And I mean, it was such a gift to me that I see other people handicapped by when they haven't been able to see the failure and the recovery. And so entrepreneurialism is all I ever knew. And it also fit my personal bent 
and that I like to try things. I like to have freedom. So it was difficult for me to function well in an employee role. So it was, it was a gift to me though. I say that and I've got siblings and they're all self-employed as well. So, you know, it's no different than, I mean, my gosh, you know, Matt, you're a, a lawyer. I think I read recently that if your parents are a lawyer, you have a 17% higher chance of becoming a lawyer yourself. If you're a doctor, your kids have a 20% higher chance of becoming a doctor. So I had an entrepreneurial dad and here I am as an entrepreneur. You know, one thing I saw on your website was you were talking about your experience with several different businesses in the past, and and some of them you referred to as failed businesses. And right now you were talking about failure as well. In my opinion, I think failure is a huge, huge learning opportunity with all these businesses. And I think it's probably the number one reason that people kind of shy away from trying something is that they're afraid to fail. And I think that based off what you're saying here, I think it's important that they do fail because you have to know how to pick yourself up, how to start back over and just really embrace the lesson that it's taught you. And I think a lot of people, I mean, maybe you can speak on it from your experience, but a lot of people wouldn't be where they are if they hadn't failed like they had. No, there's a guy, book's been around a long time, The Medici Effect by a guy named Franz Johansson. And I saw him speak somewhere a long time ago. And the thing that stuck out is he was researching entrepreneurs. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but his point was kind of like, these people aren't brilliant. They're not uh, that dramatically different. They're just willing to try more things. And so, you know, again, just what I related to with my childhood, I'm so grateful to have seen failure and see the recovery. You know, failure is, it's such a, it gets a lot of mileage that word does and people look at it differently. I think sports is a great, you know, I grew up doing sports too. And I mean, sports is primarily failure until you make the touchdown. It's a whole bunch of not making the touchdown and then boom, you make a touchdown. And I see business is kind of similar. I mean, you just do it and do it and do it and try and try and try until boom, something works and it pays off. And yeah, so many people, our culture in the way that it's organized, we don't get to see that. We don't get to see that in school. We don't get to see that when your folks just have a consistent job, nothing against that, but you don't get to see that you're not exposed to it. And it does make people shy away from that. I think as a father, it's one of the best things I can give my kids is just to let them see me going after stuff, see it not work, see it not matter at the end of the day that we're still us and things are still okay. And the next day we try again and see the success and it just opens their eyes to a world that gives them a lot more opportunity. Kevin, you mentioned you're a father. I'm reading, is this a typo? You have seven (laughs) children? It's a typo, right? Yeah, you know, I had no, no rhyme or reason, no religious thing. You know, I was actually racing bikes at an elite level through our third kid. And then we decided because we're traveling, we said, that's enough. We're done. Third kid. And then the big life change, just kind of a 180 revision on our lifestyle. And then we started thinking about, you know, should we have more kids? And as soon as we thought about it, boom, there we go. And all of a sudden, five later, I've again, no, I don't know. And I had my seventh kid two days after I got snipped. I said, that's, that's <laughs> I'm, I'm done. But then we got involved in a Native American reservation and some kids there. And we ended up ultimately adopting two. So I've got two more oh, wow. that are, oh, that's awesome. that are oh, adopted yeah, that's as cool. well. It's, it is. I mean, it's just, yeah, again, I'm not some big family advocate. I love mine. It's amazing. It's a lot, but yeah, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, I ask because I think, A lot of parents right now are struggling. You clearly made it work. How did you make it work? Being an entrepreneur, having that many kids, like we talk about work-life balance, would love just to hear about your journey there, kind of breaking through that. Yeah, that's a lot to juggle. Man, I, you know, we integrated our family and everything we did. Man, being self-employed, honestly, is 
one of the greatest gifts, again, for me, and I don't mean to just espouse self-employment as the holy grail of all things, but for my lifestyle and what I wanted, it was such an incredible fit. And family is a big part of that. And people talk a lot about that, not separating work and life. I mean, I have, I'm up in the mountains. I've got a big house. I could work from there. I actually have an office just because I can get more focus. So I've got an office that if I hike over, it's about a mile away, but it's about five miles round trip in a car. Obviously there's some separation, but me and my kids, I take off at a moment's notice and I'm full-time dad as well. And that's made it possible to do. I don't know. I don't understand. I couldn't have done family the way that I wanted to as an employee who didn't have the freedom to take off at a moment's notice or deal with family or just go play when it snows. And so it's a crafting of life. It's sitting back. You know, you talk about motive, which is obviously, as you said, it's a big focus of mine, sitting back and going, what do I want? Why do I want that? And then how do I structure my life around that? And I've taken huge measures to be able to facilitate the lifestyle that I want and not all easy. It's not something I sit on top of a mountain and say, Hey, everybody should do this, but I figured out what I wanted. And then, and, and I had great examples of people who I saw doing the things that I wanted and figuring out how to model my lifestyle after what these people have done successfully. That's how I made it happen. Kev, you've had like amazing interviews on your show You've been a successful entrepreneur in your own right. But the thing that I think stands out to me about what you're doing is you're all about uncovering the motives, the deep reasons of why we do what we do. In your experience, what's the most common misguided motives that you see from entrepreneurs? Man, from entrepreneurs, that's a good question. I thought you were going to give me the big, you know, life in general. And I'm always ready for that. For entrepreneurs, you know, the motive often is wealth, obviously. I mean, when we look at that statistically, I did a show recently and we talked about that. And you go back to Thomas Stanley, the millionaire next door, and he did those early stats on basically the majority of our wealthiest people out here. And, you know, Lee, you're a wealth manager. The majority of the wealthiest people are self-employed. So that obviously gets a lot of attention from people who think about going into business for themselves. And then the opportunity of autonomy and flexibility I think is one that people go after, but from an errant motive, kind of like what we talked about of, you know, why write a book? Do you have something to say? Why do a podcast? Do you have something to say? With a business, I find the people, the best motive is that you have something that you want to provide people with. You have a problem you want to solve. You have a desire that you want to fulfill. That's where we see the most success and the most wealth and ultimate success. So when you come back and you don't have that, and you're just thinking, I, you know, I think I could make more money or maybe I could be in more in control of my time or just not have somebody telling me something to do doesn't generally breed the most success for entrepreneurs. And it comes, it was Michael Gerber who wrote the E-Myth and he talked about those of us or you know, people who had that entrepreneurial seizure. And I, you know, I'm doing this plumbing for this company and I can go do it myself and make more money. And, you know, I have this entrepreneurial seizure and go off and do that. And they don't really count the cost of what it takes, or again, come back and ask, what do I really want to do this? What do I really want out of this endeavor? Yeah. E-Myth is a great book. I love that book. <laughs> yeah. Classic. One thing I saw on your website that probably everybody that's an entrepreneur that's really in it and grinding and even people that aren't entrepreneurs, they suffer from burnout, right? And I think that that might be the reason that some businesses fail and the reason that some people just overload themselves and they think that they have these abilities to handle the workload beyond what they put in front of themselves. And so what advice would you give to those new entrepreneurs that are maybe in that burnout stage and they don't even realize it? Are you asking for someone, Matt? 
Yeah, it's a cry for help. It's for a friend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know that. I mean, can you be an entrepreneur and not have aspects of burnout? But you can say the same thing on the other side. You know, who's ever been in an employee world and not felt burnout there? I mean, we all do from unhealthy things that we do in our work overall. But I see it with entrepreneurs a lot. Decision fatigue, I think, is a big one that I understand. Every once in a while, I'll think, man, I am just, I am burnt out of making decisions because that's what being an entrepreneur is. And yet for me, then give me five minutes over here of not making decisions and have somebody else make them for me. And I'm ready to go back to making the decision. (laughs) But it is something that we don't get to respond or we don't get to react to things. We have to proactively respond. We have to make things happen. So I think that's a big piece. But for me, probably the thing that has fostered aspects of burnout the most is when I am just trying, you know, it's an age old thing. This is nothing new. I'm just trying to do too many things. And I can do that. I, I don't know that I am control. I don't know if I have to think with folks cite me as controlling, not so much, but I have been hit on micromanaging things that I get involved. So I have a hard time, you know, that age old word again, delegating. And I had this conversation last week with someone that it's difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs, me specifically to delegate because you think of delegating as taking, here's the process. Here's what I want done. You do it for me. Well, that belies the idea that you actually had a process, which sometimes I don't. So if I'm going to delegate, I got to find somebody, usually pay them more and say, look, here's what I want done. I don't know how to do it. You figure it out. But either way, delegating, we tend to just try to do too many things. So I often have to come back and I find other entrepreneurs having to pull them back and go, okay, what is the thing that only you can do? How can we get you doing more of that? And if you've got to delegate, meaning you may have to spend some money that you may think you don't have, I mean, you've got to do that, or you're not going to spend enough time doing over here, this unique thing that only you can do. So that is when you look at entrepreneurial burnout, I see that decisions and then just trying to do too many things. And you've got to spend time doing that thing that you can only uniquely do. Building on that, Kevin, a part of your journey was you were hit with burnout. From what I've been reading on you, you were running yourself into the ground. You had a ton of businesses. And then I'd love just for you to talk to the listeners about that break with Tom Ziegler. It seems like that's where everything pivoted for you and changed. Would love just to hear more about that story where you were like kind of in that burnout phase and then it all changed for you. Man, I, yeah. So I was running an organization called Free Agent Academy that I had started and it was helping people who wanted to pursue self-employment. So they're in traditional employment and they wanted to transition and and helping them as a membership-based business. And it was successful. It did well, but I had significant, call it a God complex of I took so much responsibility for their success and I had to do everything. I mean, I was literally, I did everything and I got called out on that, but I was still just doing things so unhealthily. I flat out burn out. And I still, you know, even today, however many years later, six, seven years later, I don't think I've had during that time any coaching or consulting, which is I was doing that as well. I was doing the group and doing individual. Burnt myself out so much with it. I just haven't just washed my hands. And I literally shut the business down and went over here and back into business development. Started a business with my friend, Dr. Randy James, who's my co-host on the True Life podcast in the health and wellness arena that I was really, we started a functional medicine medical practice or really transitioned his to that. And really went into dug back into business. And I had spoken for Ziegler as a self-employment expert. And I was talking with Tom. It was after Zig, his dad, Zig Ziegler, the infamous guy. 
passed away and I was just concerned about where the brand was going to go and had some ideas. And he just invited me on to consult with them. But yeah, it was, I had to walk away. I just had to walk away because I was doing it so unhealthfully. Uh, again, business, we're back to what you said, it's making every decision, doing everything and burnt myself out with my idealism, which was good heart, but bad business model. And I wasn't taking a whole lot of coaching or input. I had to be the end guy. Again, it called a God complex. That sounds bad, but that's what it was. Good heart, but really bad methodology. And yeah, I totally let that business go and went over here and had to give myself a break from leading people to some degree, leading and influencing people and just went into business. And that was good though. As you see, I came back to it. I see my true nature back to motive. That is my true nature, but I had to learn how to do it in a way that fit me. And it was a big shift, not just business-wise, but even personally, it was no different. I walked the same new paradigm out in my family as well. And some of the ways as I was being a father and being a spouse, and again, trying to be responsible for people. So that's a great thing. And a hard thing about being an entrepreneur is it generally brings out the good and bad about you. It's a personal journey. It's generally is going to exaggerate everything good and bad about you. So there's the beauty, the glory, and the tragedy of it. I know one thing you said was blind ambition led to business failures. Can you give us a little bit more about exactly the blind ambition? I'd love to hear more about what you think that was for you. Yeah, the, you know, coming back to, I think we all want to, I mean, if we don't matter to somebody, we don't matter. And that's just part of our DNA, I think. And in that desire to help people, we can also get caught up in, oh, I'll tell you that I can make it real black and white. We know from a marketing standpoint, it's give people what they want. So then you can give them what they need. Man, I flipped that. And I was so dead intent on, no, we are not going to have any fluff. We're not going to beat around the bush. We are going to give people what they need. We're going to force it and drill it into them. Well, you can't do that. And I did. And I killed the business. I hurt relationships. It sounds good. It was you know good and altruistic and idealistic. But man, it doesn't work. It's inhuman from a leadership and an influence standpoint. I mean, you've got to meet people where they are and cater to what they want so you can give them what they need. And I violated that so badly, again, out of a poor motive of trying to prove to myself and everybody else that I was all heart and that I wasn't about ego. And it was me battling my own ego in all honesty. So yeah, idealism going awry is what it boils down to. Kevin, obviously there's a lot going on in the world right now. Lots of people have so much going on, anxiety, stress, all the things. I think it's easy to play the victim card right now. You said something I thought was pretty interesting. What you criticize and complain is what you're claiming to be a victim of. And I think the flip side, you said what you acknowledge and take responsibility for is what you're claiming to be the victor of. That to me really stood out. And I'd love just to hear your thoughts on like accountability for people right now as they kind of try to get through these times. Sergio, I mean, I pulled that out because I see our culture right now. It grieves me that when you look at the headlines, you look at what's happening. And yeah, I do. I see us just continuing to fall into this victimhood and who can we accuse and who can we blame? And it just continues to rise. So I'm not, you know, that quote that you recognize, you know, I'm the five billionth person to say that on planet earth since the dawn of time. I mean, this is an issue that's happening. I just think that we see it more. And because it's in the media and because we're exposed to more media, I am afraid that it's growing and it's hurting our culture. It's killing us. And 
coming back to, yeah, taking personal responsibility. And you have people like Jocko talking about 100% ownership. And I agree. As a matter of fact, Tom Bilyeu, I cite him a lot. Tom Bilyeu, Impact Theory, I had him on the show years ago. And if you type in his name, Tom Bilyeu, and type in, it's all your fault. You come up with this video clip. I think he was being interviewed, but there's this little video clip. And he makes this exaggerated story about, I think it's a, you know, an airplane or a meteor or something crashing through the house and killing his wife. And he's going to take responsibility for that. Well, how can he? It's stupid. But he's just exaggerating yeah. the point of, if you don't, you're giving your power over here. And I love that perspective. If you're giving your power away, if you don't take personal responsibility, even if it's exaggerated to a place that's unreasonable, but we are all victimized. If you're alive and you're in the world and not just living in a cave, you're going to be victimized. Something's going to happen to you. I have a daughter who was just hit by a guy on our little country road. She's in her car. He was going too fast, slides into her, T-bones her, totals her car. He doesn't have any insurance. There's no recourse. She's out of a car. So all the money she saved as a young lady and bought a car with, it's gone. So she got victimized. True story. Well, she can walk out as a victim or she can say, well, okay, what do I do about it? And start over and take responsibility. Or she can sit there as a victim. And man, we have people with, tra you know, I've got adopted kids who had tragedies happen to them. Talk about victimization. But it's still, as their father, I can help them walk into being a victor over that, being stronger and, and redeem that or be a victim. And man, we as a culture, there's just no benefit by claiming victimhood. So how can we help people ourselves and showcase that and help people take responsibility for what you're going to do the next moment? Yeah. Okay, we can't control, again, back to control. I can't control what's going to happen, but I can control what I do. And again, this, this has been said so many times, but I think there's more need for it now than ever. And so many of the issues, people are being incapacitated because of this victim mentality yeah. that's just awash in the media. Yeah, I think right now it's easy to just be stuck. All of us could just be stuck in this yeah. slog of a world that we're living in. But we got to, to your point, man, we got to keep pushing and overcoming, overcome well, it all. We do. You know, ha again, having compassion. And I need to err on that side as well. I need more and more and more and more compassion for people who are victimized. I mean, I'm a six foot tall white American male. I'm the most privileged person on the planet with the least victimization in my life. I need to have more compassion and more advocacy for those who are victimized and also try to pull them out of that because there's no, and again, my, and my adopted kids come from backgrounds that the height of victimization, but the victimhood that is lived in in those cultures is what's wrecking them. And my oldest adopted, she's a victor. She has every reason every reason. I can find few people who have more reason to be a victim than her. And she's just not. I don't even know why she's not. God bless her. She's unbelievable. She's not. And that's why she is in a far different place from her culture. Kev, how do we show that compassion to the people that might be experiencing what we're talking about, being victims? We got to be more compassionate. How do we do that? That's a good question. And I, I am somebody who is growing in that. Lee, I am not a naturally compassionate person. I don't have compassion for myself, which is the root of my problem. I don't have it for myself and I don't have it for others. And some of it is because of my privilege, I think too. And being exposed to it has helped me a lot and seeing it. And I think that's one way is to be exposed to it. It's one of the things that we did with our family because we looked at our little living in a bubble privileged family. And man, how do I give them a bigger view of humanity and myself as well? 
And we looked at going to one of these third world countries, but you know, fly a family my size, we could feed a third world. (laughs) My wife found this Native American reservation and to go down there and see some of the hardship and to live amongst it and to get involved with it. Now I'm not calling everybody to do that. That doesn't have to be everybody's calling, but exposing yourself to it and bringing it into your home for us is what has helped me the most. But however you do it to go in there and realize Cause it is easy. And we got a lot of people who are on stage saying, you know, don't be a victim, take hundred percent ownership, be responsible. Yes. And have compassion over here too, to come down. I have to tone myself down and go, man, I can't imagine what you've gone through, what these people have gone through. I have no correlation to that. I, I really don't. I am so sorry. How can I help you stand up? How can I advocate for you? and help you stand up. And again, not because I have more to offer because I'm better, but man, I just, I wasn't depleted in here. I'm so grateful. I can take no responsibility for my privilege, but I can take out anything that I've got and help you. That is not my nature, guys. I mean, I'm saying that that's my wife. That is my wife's heart. Honestly, <laughs> she's one of these people who just from the bottom of her toes authentically cares about everybody. And I look at her and go, I can't, I can't imagine being that naturally. God bless you. But I see the merit in that I am going to take action and do what I can, even though I just, my heart, I can't even open myself to the extent that some people can't have with compassion. But so that's an active walking out for me. That's a yeah. Problem. I mean, Kevin, I mean, yeah. you're, the first step is acknowledging the privilege and you're owning that. Yeah. You own it. 100%, so for, man. for me, I, I appreciate you. you doing that. I think a lot of people I know don't even acknowledge the privilege. I just want to say thank you for that. I think that's, yeah, I don't want to get political or whatever, but like, that's a big first step for you. And I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, Sergio, thank you. Some of that is recent and all truth. Some of my awareness of that is recent. I'll say even, yeah, this last year, 2020 and the racial issues that came up. And my brother is an incredible racial activist. And he helped me understand that because I got to that point of feeling like, am I supposed to feel guilty for my privilege? And and what do I do with it? He literally, his name's Jared Angaza. And he helped me walk through understanding that of how he's not, you know, no, you don't need to feel guilty, but you still got the privilege. I think you have a responsibility to do something with it which I, okay, how? I didn't even know how. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in prison say still, okay, I get it, but I, I don't know how. And I got some help in that too on how can I help? Because I was just ignorant. Ignorant. I like the word ignorant. It just means lacking knowledge. It doesn't mean stupid. Uh, <laughs> and I am, I think I'm, I'm ever more amazed at how daily I stumble upon, oh my gosh, can't believe I was that ignorant. And uh, tomorrow, I'm now I'm realizing I'm going to be tomorrow too. So I could just continue to try to get as much awareness. But holy smokes, man, I'm one ignorant son of a gun. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so Kev, going through your upbringing, one thing I noticed is you're a pretty good cyclist. I mean, you're not like that, the guy in the spandex short shorts at the intersection with his belly hanging out. You're actually a pretty good cyclist. You are a world-class cyclist. And one thing I want to know is like, tell us a little bit about that. And then when I read your bio, I remember you were saying like, you thought you had to figure it out. You're accomplishing these amazing feats in cycling. And then you got to a point where you realized you didn't have it all figured out. How did you go from like being so accomplished in that area? And then the light came on. You're like, man, I'm, I'm misguided. I'm imperfect. I got to change everything. Goodness. As a kid that liked riding bikes back before we had screens and there was nothing else to do. So we go out and ride a bike. And they built a BMX track in my town. I started racing BMX bikes at 10 and then at some point got a 10 speed and then transitioned into road cycling, like Tour de France kind of cycling. When I was 17 or so, I turned pro at 
21, I think 21 or 22, and then raced at the pro and elite level. And, and then cycling, especially in America, the pro and elite amateurs, a lot of times race together. So sometimes you have a pro license, sometimes you may not, whatever, but I raced at that level till I was 32. Yeah, I was a, I had some, I was pro. I mean, I got pictures on the podium and whatnot, but I was a, I would, I say a very mediocre pro, you know, I mean, there's those guys in the NFL and we so were no Lance Armstrong. You came up with him. Was that? Oh yeah. We're, we're, we're within, I think a year of the same age. So we were often even as juniors in the same age category. And so um, you just hate him. Just <laughs> <laughs> he, he was, you know, I think it's a shame because I think if you had taken away what he did, the performance enhancing drugs, dude still would have won a couple tours of France. He was an amazing athlete, amazing athlete. He was just, well, again, I, you know, all I know is pretty much what you guys do, maybe a little bit more from some insider information, but you know, hard nosed dude, it seems like, but an amazing, amazing athlete. So yeah, compared to him, I was a mediocre, <laughs> I was a mediocre pro, but you know, I, I was a pro. I'll take some credit for that, but you guys ask and some of the things I think about for this interview about some of the past, I don't know if you put regrets, failures or whatever, but regret. I'm not a no regrets guy. Even if it's redeemed, I still can regret some of the past things that I've done that hurt me, hurt other people. And I regret one of the bigger regrets is how uncoachable I was. I was so arrogant. I can't even tell you why. Maybe I need to continue to unpack my own ego from as a kid, but so much ego, so much pride, so much arrogance. I was so uncoachable. The opportunities that I had, and I don't know if it's fair to say natural ability, but I had some great successes early on that I didn't build on and didn't take input. I had it offered to me and I didn't take it. Such a huge regret. And I didn't realize that till later in life, almost later in my career to where I wasn't even willing to go after my Tour de France hopes had gone away. I had kids by now and I just wanted to do well. And I learned to do the best that I could with the time that I invested in the sport. And so I was a really good elite rider, you know, winning races around the country, even as a father and doing other business stuff because I had learned a lot. So I was able to put it to use then, but mass squandered a significant, I should have been a great pro. I had the opportunity and I squandered it. It's just a reality in my life that I I'll always regret it for sure. How do you feel like being a pro athlete played into you being an entrepreneur? You know, the competitiveness and just the discipline from being a pro athlete. Oh, gigantic. I think any pro athlete would say that. I will say, man, cycling. I had a friend, Chuck Bailipek. He was on the national cycling team. He went on to become a pro triathlete and won Ironman Canada. And it was after he transitioned out of competitive cycling into triathlon. And we lived together for a while in Arizona and he'd get up in the morning and go swim. Then he'd go with us and go out on our training rides on the bike. And then we'd come home, he'd eat, and then he'd go run. And he says, man, triathlon training annihilates cycling training. But he said, racing, no way. He says, cycling's the hardest thing you've ever done. Because if you're in cycling, you know, cycling, you know, it's a pack issue and you're drafting. And if you're in a race, I raced over in Europe. When I first went over there, I was on a cycling team in Holland, a Dutch team. And it's dead flat in Holland. They get these killer crosswinds. You get guys stacked diagonal across the road, drafting on each other. And if you're that last guy and you're not getting the draft, you're going to get popped. And if you don't stick with the group, you're gone. I mean, you cannot go as fast by yourself as you can with the group. So 100% is not enough. If you're on the tail end of that thing, giving 100%, Either you give even more than that or you're popped. And so it's just this extra effort. I am so grateful for that because the work ethic of just putting out more, 
and even just sticking with it. And I got some of that from my dad, you know, as a kid with work ethic stuff and just sticking with it and learning if I keep at it, if I keep at it, if I keep slogging through, not that you don't revise along the way, but it was great. And I'll tell you guys, that's a great question that I appreciate even more now because I got a little burnt out, come back to that word with athletics and with cycling and with just some of the ego as part of cycling that I had my kids and I didn't get them involved in sports. I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I regret that. Now I've got my kids back in sports because of what it teaches them as far as discipline, failure, perseverance, triumph, you know, all those great things. Yeah, teamwork, all that, yeah. They have such a high bar, man. Do you get disappointed if they're just not like an immediate athlete right away? I feel that sometimes <laughs> with my kids. What's wrong with you? I initially maybe, now I've got kids in stuff enough that I'm not the most emotional guy on the planet, but it can bring me on in tears just to see them progress in something, even if they suck. And they're just progressing into mediocrity, whatever it is. Because I got one kid who is almost unbeatable in running, whether it's track, cross country, whatever. And he doesn't like it. We've got him in soccer now because he just doesn't like, he can't handle the pressure yet emotionally, but he's talking about just gifted, natural athlete, whatever. I mean, I'm up here and not far from the Olympic training center. I'm thinking I need to get this guy in the Olympics and he didn't want to do it. But then I've got other kids. I've got one son who just loathes running, but we just kind of have all the kids run in school. And he got in and long story short, he runs his first 5k and does 37 minutes. I'm like, dude, did you crawl? Did you even run at all? That's like, okay. So God bless people who are just starting out and running. I don't mean to diss you, but for a kid who's well and fit <laughs> and he progressed in a matter of months and did his last race in like 22, 23 minutes, which is not world-class time, but the progress and to seeing his character change and his perspective change, that was a bigger win then my other son who wins his race I had more gratitude and see more benefit in my son who went from loathing this to seeing what he was capable of. That was priceless. Love that. That's awesome. Yeah. One thing, Kev, that I noticed is you and Tom, you guys seem like your buddies. You both come from really good stock. I mean, you look at your dad, you look at Tom's dad. That's the definition of good stock right there. How do you get to that next level, like with your kids and you say you pass down maybe the same parenting that they had? Like, do you feel like you're in line? Because it seems like you and Tom, you seem like just the genuine product of your fathers. And it seemed like they had a huge saying in how you guys became. How do you feel that with your own kids? It's an interesting question, Lee, because you end up balancing what are your goals? Even like that, what do you want for your kids? And we see... Ziggs talked about the stats. I just had Stephen Kotler on one of my shows. His latest book is The Art of Impossible, though the one that's going crazy right now. Hold it up for you guys. Oh, there you go. The, I've heard yeah, about the, that one, yeah. The Future's Faster Than You Think that he wrote with Peter Diamandis. But it was in that show, he talked about something that, again, Zig has as well. Stephen was talking about elite athletes. And Zig was talking about kind of world influencers and business people. And he talks about how high a percentage of those people are people that came from hardship, just to paraphrase the point. They came from hardship. And we can say, okay, they took that and it made them stronger and more able. Yeah, but for every one of them, there was also 10,000 people like them who were overcome and wrecked by that. Okay, but those people, let's take those people that then succeeded, like Zig, you know, he's the youngest or the second youngest of 12 kids, has to go to work at five because his dad dies and he's got to provide a penny a month to anything to help the family. And it's hardship, right? Well, he comes up, well, Tom Ziegler doesn't know any hardship. 
he's Zig Ziglar's kid. He doesn't know hardship. So he is going to have a different trajectory, but what he got was heart and love and talk about compassion. I mean, Tom is one of the kindest, most heartfelt people I have ever, ever known. Does he have the same drive as his dad? Is he going to have the same accomplishments in the business world, in life? I mean, it's going to change. So I look at that with my kids or my dad, you know, he achieved things and he gave me, talk about back to privilege. What am I going to do with that? Is it going to create the same drive? And I've had that question that we see, yeah, the level of drive, but then I have to come back and go, what do I want for my kids though? Do I want them to be bazillionaires? Do I want them to love people well, to have compassion for people? And I, you know, obviously we want them to be able to function in the world. I want fully functioning kids. I want to be fully functioning. And what's that look like? Well, you got to be able to pay the bills. And if you make more money, you've got more to offer to other people as well. But what do I really want for them? I want them to love people well. I want them to feel loved. I want them to love themselves. And so we're back to on that question of motive. But I'm grateful. Yeah, Tom and I both got the privilege of seeing parents, fathers who cared deeply about the world, cared about people, devoted themselves to that, and were never satisfied with just coasting along and taking care of themselves. That's probably the biggest gift that we got. And I've definitely been able to give that, to showcase that to my kids. And it's probably the best example and offering I can give them. Yeah, you're not just giving it to your kids, you're giving it to hundreds of thousands of other people. So you're doing the work that I think your father and Zig would be very happy with. So kudos to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us about your coaching that you do and what you got going on and how you help mentor people. You know, today it's pretty much from the podcast. That's my main platform. I did coaching. I did consulting. And honestly, I'm not a great coach. So even when I was doing that, I finally worked myself out of and didn't allow myself to have that coach moniker, right? So I do consulting because I look at my own delineation on that, which you can, some semantics involved, how you look at it. But I look at, at consulting is let's take an idea that you have. What's an opportunity in the marketplace? Let's say, man, I'm a great consultant on that. Now, once we solidify what you're going to do, and you need the ongoing coaching, I'm not good there. I'm not good at it and I don't enjoy it. There's other people that are far, far better at that. But these days I'm doing it via the podcast. I just signed a book deal and I'm looking at a private membership community to get more involved with people. But I probably won't continue to do a lot of individual work. It's just not where I'm not the best person for it. I'm really not. Now, again, I have some areas of competence, like taking an idea and finding an opportunity in the marketplace. But I'm more and more aware of kind of back to that joking about being ignorant, but you know, just my areas of, of core competence. And it is more in delivering a message and help, I hope, bringing people to root issues of personal progress. That's where my light comes on. That's where I do best. I'm best you know, like that. I'm in a cabin right now where I'm just writing and able to think and able to research. And that's where I'm best. And then to bring forth something. And if you were in a business model, if I wanted to take that then and say, hey, let's meet people on an individual basis, I would be best to have other people involved with me that are able to then sit down and do the work one-on-one -on -one because it's just not where I am best. And I say that where I'm best. And if you cut that up into a pie chart, am I competent in it? Can I do it? Yeah. It doesn't give me energy. It's really more draining for me. You know, no different than that's your personality styles. We go into a social 
engagement and I can be charismatic and everything, just like my wife. And yet we leave that. I mean, she is energized. She actually got plugged in and she just got charged up. I am depleted. Now I need to go to a cabin and recharge by myself, you know? So it's kind of with, with coaching and consulting. This, talking with you guys, having a conversation, this energizes me. It's so I continue to get more insight on that, on my core competencies. And to that degree, I want to help other people do that as well. Find out where they most competent, what energizes them. Let's get them doing more of that. I love to see people's light shine brighter and be able to give that to other folks. And to do that, we need more self-awareness. Kevin, so you've got the new book deal, and then you've got this private label nutritional supplements line. What's that all about? Is Lance Armstrong involved or? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's an odd one in, in a degree. So I love feeling well. I love physical fitness, but not in and of itself. It's not because I love the fact that I can go run up Pikes Peaks. So what? I love what that does for how I feel about myself and how I just am able to function. And I have a big soapbox on, I think we have this myth, maybe especially in America, that we can sit down at a desk with a computer and be brilliant even if our body has gone to pot. And it's just false. Yeah. I mean, it just is. And part of it was doing this, what you guys are doing now is having people on the show over the years, seeing these people who had gotten such brilliance out of their minds and delivered it to people and to see their lifestyles and see their habits. And I saw this myth somewhat that people thought, oh, because a guy like Stephen Cutler, because he has achieved this level of fame, he can now go out and tend to his physical well-being and get a personal trainer and be all fit and do all this stuff. And I realized, no, the reason he has gotten to where he is is because he has taken care of himself, invested in himself and kept himself. It actually happened in Free Agent Academy when we're helping people find an idea and go pursue it for self-employment and realize that wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part was getting them to actually take steps. And there was this thread of over and over and over. They're coming back and going, man, we got an idea. I've got the steps here to take action on. I've got the resources. Dude, I just don't have any energy left at the end of the day or on the weekend to do this thing on the side. And so we started looking at that and I brought my best friend at the time, Dr. Randy James, I started bringing him to these events to help these people say, hey, how can you get more out of yourself? Just energy wise, clarity wise, mental ability wise. And it brought me into this physical realm. So fast forward, and I ended up helping Randy with his practice where he was devoting more and more into not just fixing people with a, or not fixing, managing their illness with a medication, but saying, how can we take care of this illness? Again, root issues. And so diet, nutrition, exercise, all that. And nutritional supplements, it's not the holy grail to everything, but unfortunately, even me, Kevin Miller, knowing what I know, unless I go devote myself to growing my own food on my own farm, harvesting it, which is a full-time job to feed myself, I just can't get, we can't get the nutrients that we need out of our food, out of the soil, we're just deficient. Even the best of us, we're just deficient. So I've gotten to understand nutritional supplements, bring us up to level opportunity. Again, not the Holy Grail, because if you're doing best nutritional supplements and not doing all the other things you need to do for health and wellness, it's yeah. pissing in the wind. But uh, they, <laughs> but they are, I've seen the benefit of them. I've seen over the years, seen Randy doing these in-depth diagnostics on people taking their blood work and whatever and seeing their levels come up as they do a lot of things, but nutritional supplements being a part of that. So the need continues to go. And bottom line, I get maybe not quite almost once a week, 
I get a list of new advertisers saying, would I be willing to have these people advertise on the show? Almost every week, there's a new supplement, nutritional supplement company. And I believe in nutritional supplements, but there's a lot, I'd say 95% of it out there is not as effective as it could be as far as the ingredients and the formulations and whatever. And in the practice, we had actually gone and visited some of the top tier nutritional supplement companies. We went and toured a manufacturing facility. It was unbelievable to see the lengths that they go to to get the best product and deliver it and yada, yada. And so it was kind of feeling like I believe in nutritional supplements. I got all these people wanting to advertise, yet I don't believe in their products. I haven't vetted them. So if I'm going to offer these things, why don't we just offer one that we have vetted and we know is the best? So that's what we're doing. We're private labeling one that you cannot buy out there on the market. They're only provided through doctors. And so we've created an opportunity where we can provide those. So, you know, this isn't my pitch to sell our nutritional supplements. I think you need them. And there's other companies, not a lot. There's other companies selling them to this level, but we're just taking it and simplifying it and saying, look at the core, every person needs at least these base basic ones to help subsidize. Again, Again, they're supplemental. If we had a great diet and a perfect digestion, we wouldn't need them, but we don't. And so Let's bring these in to help subsidize, supplement the lack that we have in our diet. That's awesome. Kev, I just want to thank you for coming on our show today. You've been an amazing interview. We've learned a ton from you. But before you go, I have just one last question that I think would be great to close with. Going back to the beginning, we're talking about people trying to find the motives, what the true underlying reason is. Say there's someone that's listening to this podcast and they're thinking, man, my priorities are all messed up. I'm doing things for the wrong reason. What's the first place? Where can they start? If they're saying like, you know, I want to get on this right track. I want to figure out my why and make sure it's in the right place. Where do they start? I mean, it's a huge, it's a big question, Lee. And I don't want to minimize it by making it sound, you know, like a lot of things, the great wisdom is not complex. It's pretty simple, but it's very difficult to work out. But really, it's just an audit, just an audit. We all have these things that we just by proxy think that we want. We've never really sat down and gone, what do I really want? That's where I came to this new book deal. It was sitting down and I was actually thinking about my adult kids and thinking about what do I most want for them? And what do I most regret about my own? It was kind of a combo. What do I want for my kids? What do I regret? And it was not being clear, not just taking an audit of what do I really want and then why? And I realized when you ask the why, you find out pretty quickly whether you do really want that thing or not. And that little audit of going down and, you know, I'll give people an easy exercise right here. If you type in the Ziegler wheel of life, you can find 500 variations, but it gives you seven areas of life. Other people have done it too. It's not some super unique thing, but it's kind of looking at these main areas of life and saying, okay, what do I want? And if most people can kind of jot down, oh, you know, I want to be healthy and not overweight. Okay, there's the physical part. Financially, I want to make six figures or I want to whatever. They'll write down kind of those quick things. And then to go back and go, do you really want that? Do you really want that? Or do you think you should? There's the first one. Do you really want it? Or do you just think you should? But get that on the line first. Now, if you can get rid of the should and say, no, I do really want that. Why? And most people just are stuck there. There's so few people. And that's really the hard work to go, why? Why do you want that? And I found myself doing that with people, with my kids, with myself. Why do I want that? And going, man, I I don't. I'm busting my butt to do this. And I don't really want that. Or the opposite of going, why do I want that? And getting clear on it and going, holy smokes, I do. I do really want And when I that realization, 
I don't need so much inspiration and motivation now when I realize I authentically want that. And here's the reason why. And it cuts out so much of the BS. I mean, I'm in the personal development and self-help industry that's just churn, like the weight loss industry, man. We're just churning out, churning people's money and time, and they're not making change because we haven't gotten to the root issue. That's where I came to this and saying, well, what do you really want? And again, that's as simple as anything, but most people just don't ever do it. If you ask yourself, you sit down for 15 minutes with a pen and paper or a keyboard and a screen, spend 15 minutes just writing down a list of what do you really want? You're already in the top, you know, I'll make it up 0.001% people on the planet. We, people don't do that. Just doing that one second, asking yourself, okay, just question yourself. Do you really want it? Or do you think you should? That's the next level. And then, okay, I do really want it. Why? It really stumps a lot of people. And in all honesty, I want to say, I mean, if you do that, you're going to skyrocket your life. And a lot of people do that. And it's depressing because you realize, I, I don't know why. Yeah, I was going to say you could get stuck, right? You get stuck in the why. Sergio, you know why? Because then you're stuck with what do you really value? We don't know. Most of us don't know. What do we really value? The beauty, though, is if you do that and land on it and it makes you consider what you value, now you're on the path of fulfillment, which is what we're all grasping for. That's the trail that I found. So what do I want, people? If you ask me at the end of the day, what's the point of all this? What's my motive for all this? It's, I am so grateful that I have values that I care about. And then I get to wake up every day with the joy of going after and fulfilling those values. I love it. I mean, I'm just, it's the thing I'm most grateful for. And then it's by proxy, the thing that I want most for my kids and for others, because I want the happier other people are, it's still selfish. If my wife's happy, my kids are happy, I'm happier. The people around me are, I mean, I want everybody to figure out you know, what it is you value. Go fulfill that. I We'll all be thrilled. It's a lot funner place to do that. But man, we do not know. Coming back to what you said earlier on in the show about being victims and this mentality that we're falling into. I think we've also, when you look at the diseases of despair that are increasing, depression, suicide, whatnot, yeah. we don't know what we value anymore. We don't know. And so we just go medicate. Let's just go watch something, entertain ourselves because we don't know what we value. I want us to find what we value because I'm just, again, selfishly, I just, I'm so great. If I didn't know, if I woke up tomorrow and forgot what I valued and didn't know what I said, I don't have a reason to keep going either. Well done, man. Mic drop. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much, Kev, for coming on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to The Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities American Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities American Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities American Advisors, and Securities American Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McGoy are not affiliated with Securities American Advisors or Securities American Incorporated. Securities American Advisors, Securities American Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. 
third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.